podcast where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. This is how to get started, how to get better, and how to front run the opportunity. This is Ryan Sean Adams. I'm here with David Hoffman, and we're here to help you become more bankless. David, how are you this week? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm really excited about this episode. This is an episode where we dive into a very specific bankless tool and ask the questions that uh, we think are really important. Both me and Ryan are huge fans of the Argent Wallet and how they are pushing the boundaries with the benefits of crypto while obfuscating and hiding away the friction points and the costs of crypto, making a really good UX UI experience for users. And then we also talk about really important questions such as, you know, if the Argent Wallet is as successful as they want it to be, how do we maintain uh, neutrality in, in, the, in the wallet? How do we make sure that Argent is aligned with the uh, Ethereum ecosystem into the future? So a super valuable episode. Edamar definitely has the right vision for what Argent needs to be. And it was just an absolute treat getting him on the pod. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the entire bankless community is cheering for this wallet and excited about this wallet because it, it feels like the first wallet that's almost mainstream accessible. Uh, this is pretty easy to use. I mean, my, my parents can easily use this. People who aren't are completely new to crypto can use this. It's, it's really difficult to talk to somebody and, and you know, talk to them about DAI and stable coins and sort of, you know, the DAI savings rate and talk about how great it is, and then try to explain how to use MetaMask and how to get their crypto off an exchange easily and what gas fees are, right? Those are all impediments to user adoption. And Argent has just found a way to remove all of those, including, I think, one of the biggest impediments, which is private key management, right? That that sense that, oh my God, if, if my assets are outside of uh, a wallet, outside of a, an exchange like Coinbase, and if I lose my private keys, it all goes away, right? Argent has found a clever way to navigate around this. So yeah, so we're going to talk to to Edamar today about the, the concept of DeFi's Netscape mo- moment. So what they're doing with Argent is it, essentially they're creating a, a browser, an overlay on top of all of these money protocols and allowing the, those to be easily accessible, sort of what happened to the early internet. So protocols like TCP IP and SMTP and FTP, uh, those, those protocols were kind of still in the, the geek culture and not really useful for everyday people until Netscape came around and gave you the ability to surf the web, as they said back in the day. This is the ability to surf the money protocols. That really, to me, is what Argent is doing here. So we're going to talk with Edamar about three things. First, the ethos behind this. So like, why are they creating a a bankless wallet? Uh, Secondly, what it is, what you can do with it, some of the superpowers that are available to you today with it, and then the future, how this thing gets to maybe a billion users uh, someday, at least DeFi does, and what the wallet's role is in that process. So super exciting, super uh, interesting episode, and we're glad you're tuned in. Before we get there, let's talk about our sponsors today, David. So the first I want to tell you about is Rocket Dollar. This is primarily for our US listeners. If you have an IRA or a 401k, the problem with it is it's jailed inside of your brokerage. So it's stuck in your Schwab account. It's stuck in Fidelity. If you want to buy crypto, you have to buy it inside the brokerage at 5x the price. Don't do that. It's a complete ripoff. What you need to do instead is break your crypto retirement account out of jail. 
use Rocket Dollar, they can help you set up a self-directed IRA, a self-directed 401k. I do this. A ton of folks in the bankless community do this. They will take care of the pain and help you break your retirement account out of jail, help you buy crypto on the spot market. To start a self-directed IRA or 401k, go to rocketdollar.com. When you use the code bankless, you'll get $50 off. Rocketdollar.com. Use the code bankless. DYDX is an outstanding decentralized exchange in the crypto world. For those that aren't familiar, DYDX is a place where you can go and swap ETH and DAI and access some of the deepest liquidity in the crypto space. Hats off to DYDX for really gathering the liquidity they need to make a liquid DEX, something that is really difficult in the space. And the way that they do that is that they offer a complete suite of services that surround ETH and DAI and other assets on their exchange. So not only can you go to DYDX and spot trade between ETH and DAI, but you can also lend and borrow both ETH and DAI, as well as being able to take margin long positions or margin short positions. So getting 1x, 2x, 3x leverage in both directions on your Ether. And something that is brand new to the DYDX platform is the ability to get exposure to Bitcoin on their perpetual contract markets. This is something that is brand new, not only to DYDX, but the crypto space at large. And so with Bitcoin perpetual contract markets, you can get price exposure to Bitcoin on margin in an extremely liquid way. This opened up just a few weeks ago and there's already over $14 million worth of liquidity on the DYDX protocol. It comes from USDC. And so when your contract is settled, you get paid out in USDC. It's a brand new money Lego in the crypto world. You can go to DYDX and get 10% off of trading fees when you sign up with the bankless referral link, trade.dydx.exchange slash r slash bankless. It's in the show notes. So you can just go copy that and go straight to DYDX and get 10% off of all trading fees. Hey, David, before we dig in with EDMR, we should talk big picture stuff. You, you know what I've been feeling like lately? Uh, it's felt like it's it's 2016 again. I'm 100% with you. Yeah, I've, and I even feel that every single morning when I wake up and for I'm just more optimistic about the future of crypto, not only just from you know the price appreciation, which I totally think is coming, but also just the fundamentals in the, in the space that really sets the foundation for for a, a new wave. Um, I, I've always been skeptical of the of the concept that you know there's a new bull market coming. There's uh, the, the the idea is that uh, there's always a new bull market on the horizon, and that crypto runs in cycles. Uh, it, it feels weird to be able to count on these things, but I wouldn't actually bet against it. Um, and it does feel like we are on the cusp of a very long, slow, drawn out appreciation in ETH price that will you know, probably inevitably turn into another bubble, which will be fun to uh, to go on the ride. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the debate in crypto, whether there's going to be sort of a slow slog to adoption. So if you look at like the dot-com uh, bubble and then the pop, uh, after that, there, were, there was an interim period, years, until uh, high-flying companies like Amazon fully recovered, right? It took something till like 2008, 2009. And the, the way it recovered uh, was through utility. So Amazon actually delivered on some of its promises and started to to recover. Uh, so some people think that that's what's going to happen in crypto. Basically, it, it'll sort of seep into our everyday life and there'll be a slow growth slog uh, as it seeps into our life and people realize start realizing more and more utility. But I've come to think that 
what really happens in crypto is we get these crazy boom bust cycles. So we get like these periods of irrational exuberance and hockey stick growth followed by, you know, a crash type period, uh, followed by some sort of dead period. Uh, and then the whole cycle repeats. I was reading a, an Andreessen Horowitz article. So they're a, you know, crypto VC uh, firm and they, they talked about the, the three previous cycles. So the first cycle was 2009 to 2012, uh, where you had this boom bust occurrence. And then 2013 to 2016 was the second. And then the third, which we're kind of still in, or it's just closing up, is 2016 up until now. And in all of these cycles, you, you get sort of the, the, same sort of, um, the, the same sort of pattern. There's at the very beginning of the cycle, this, this kind of Tinder period where all of this infrastructure is getting built, all of this fuel is getting laid down. So only the hardcore true believers are really in that, in that phase. That's where we are now, basically. And then there's some kind of a spark, whether that's a, a narrative or a use case or a combination of both in 2000. 16, 2017, that spark really was smart contracts and Ethereum and the Bitcoin as a store of value narrative. And then you get this explosion that happened in all three of the previous cycles. It was almost like more explosive than everyone thought it would be. So there's a growth phase and then that turned into like crazy growth and then it melted faces uh, like with the the uh, level of growth that you saw in each of those cycles, uh, followed by a crash. And then after the crash, you started to see articles like crypto is dead. People started leaving the crypto space. The bubbles pop. The narratives are wrong. That cycle has played out already three times. And we are now in the fourth cycle. This is the, the Tinder phase where all of this fuel, all of these layers of a building and infrastructure are being put down. And I feel like it's 2016, like we're just waiting for that spark. Yeah, there's, there's, as you said, there is so much Tinder being laid down. There are things and developments happening that if they had happened in 2017, 2018, uh, would have just absolutely just pumped the market, uh, especially out of the, some developments in the last two weeks. Uh, Reddit using Ethereum, uh, an, an Ethereum testnet to uh, experiment with community tokens uh, is absolutely huge. After just like three days, there were 5,000 different wallets just using one of the two tokens that they issued. Uh, and I think that number is up to like 14 or 15,000 now. Uh, and th that's just the fact that the, I think number four world's most popular website is using Ethereum to host some sort of, uh, community engagement infrastructure mechanism is, is insanely bullish. And then there's also Visa explicitly, uh, citing Ethereum as infrastructure for stablecoin payments. Um, and, and then also citing how stable coins are additive to a payment network, not, um, not com competitive, uh, and so like the, if those things had happened in 2017, like the crypto markets would have pumped by like 25% alone. Uh, and they didn't, you didn't even see a blip in the, these markets today because we're still, we still have, you know, trauma. We still have fear. Uh, we're, we're still like very hesitant dipping our toes, but, uh, the things like Argent Wallet, which we're about to get into, and, and the infrastructure that Ar Argent represents to host a bankless revolution is, is part of the kindling that is being laid down. 
Uh, Bitcoin just went through a halving during a period where the Fed just printed a bunch of money. That is also huge kindling. The the whole Paul Tudor Jones, who has 2% of his assets, which is an insane amount. Like 2% maybe sounds like a, a little bit, but when you're a billionaire like Paul Tudor Jones, like I would have expected 0.2%, not two full percent, like stuff like this. The kindling is just found everywhere. Uh, and it's going to be a fun day when, when that match drops. Yeah, totally. It, you know, that what's funny is everything you just named that happened like in the last week and a half to two weeks, like we're not <laughs> even talking about like s- cool stuff that's happened since the beginning of 2020. This is all in the past week and a half, two mm-hmm. weeks. That's mm-hmm. like new layers of kindling. This is a dry forest floor with like leaves and, you know, twigs and there hasn't been rain in months. That's what we're talking about here. And even the the Reddit news alone. So 430 million daily active users on Reddit. 64% of those are Gen Z, right? So, and one of the, the subreddits that they're releasing the community token on is a Fortnite subreddit. And they're even more excited about the token and about using... Uh, the Ethereum wallet and this community point system than the the crypto subreddit is. They have already more vaults uh, signed up there. So like this is um, a massive amount of uh, kindling. Someone asked me the other day, it's like, well, just the Reddit news, why didn't price go up? And I I think the answer to that question is the, these events aren't the spark. They're the fuel, right? This is the, the kindling and the spark is yet to come. Uh, feels very much like 2016. That's not to say that next year is going to feel like 2017. Um, it could still take some time. I mean, there still could be some some more tinder that is is laid before we see the spark. But it feels like that spark is just a matter of of time and and probability. Something's going to set this this forest floor off, uh, and when it does, it's going to be quite explosive. At least. That's kind of what I think. I don't think that crypto works because of the scarcity games. We've talked about those in previous episodes, David. I don't think crypto is just going to like slowly seep into our life and there's not ever going to be a speculative mania because the next 500 million people that enter this space uh, are going to need to learn the same lessons as the first 50. It's the same human psychology that drives these, these scarcity games. I wouldn't bet against another speculative, explosive growth phase. That seems to be how this whole crypto thing grows in these cycles. And after every cycle, uh, the good news is 10x the amount of builders and users and holders remain even after the crash. So every cycle ends with a higher floor than the last one. I think we're in an exciting time. Yeah, in your article, you talked about fractals, and you you just said that you know just because this feels like 2016 doesn't mean that next year is 2017. Like, and and what a fractal is, it's a pattern that looks the same at different scale. And so, what when we say that this feels like 2016, like all those patterns are there. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the next pattern is 2017, right? So like, obviously, this is not financial advice. Uh, 2021 is not the year of 100x, uh, you know, 100x growth in all crypto assets. But it's what it feels like, like the foundations are being set. Uh, so patterns do change like that. Nothing is guaranteed. Uh, but I do like the the illustration that, you know, t- uh, these things are, are repetitive cycles that look like each other each each time. But that doesn't mean that this next cycle is going to be a you know a one to one repeat of the last one. Yeah, exactly. Like one one fr- fractal that we see in nature all the time is mountain ranges, right? 
and uh, mountains sort of look the same if you look at sort of a, a mountain range, but but some mountains are are higher than others, and that's what we might see here. Some kind of a, a difference uh, from the last fractal pattern, but a similar pattern. And I do think that pattern is one of um, <laughs> fast speculative growth. Don't know when it'll happen, uh, but um, I definitely put my money on that. I don't think it's going to be uh, something something slow. And uh, gradual, not in crypto, man. It's too crazy for that. David, we should talk about uh, something else that happened um, recently, and that's the uh, BlockFi. There was a data breach at BlockFi, and for those that that don't know, maybe you can tell um, tell listeners what BlockFi is and what happened here. Yeah, BlockFi is a company that you can deposit your Bitcoin with, uh, and then they also do other assets like Ether, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's mostly Bitcoin customers. Uh, centralized company, you deposit your Bitcoin there, they lend it out and give you a Bitcoin denominated return. So it's a way to receive alpha on your Bitcoin. So they're offering somewhere between like 3 and 4% on your Bitcoin and, and your ETH, which is pretty good. Like you can't really get those rates inside of DeFi. Uh, and there's no really other way to get alpha on your Bitcoin. So th- that's really the the business proposition of BlockFi uh, and, and why we, one would deposit your their Bitcoin there. The problem is, uh, you know, when any website like this has user information and uh, whenever a website centrally collects user information, there is an incentive to uh, to snag that. Uh, and that's ex- exactly what happened. Uh, and I think this is really good juxtaposition between why a similar product, which there are plenty of on on Ethereum in, inside of DeFi, uh, kind of fixes this problem because uh, public permissionless protocols don't care about your government issued ID and don't care about who you are uh, and don't require your email address or password or any other identifying information to use them. Uh, and so I, I think this the whole BlockFi idea is a legacy business model that is being Im, uh, imprinted upon crypto using crypto assets uh, to fuel them, but they don't actually make any anything new. Like the real innovation here is permissionless, uh, you know, identity free uh, protocols, and and the this this hack just kind of illustrates why that is important. Yeah, BlockFi would be what we generally call a crypto bank. So they, um, you know, they specialize in, in lending and borrowing, but they do it through a custodial service. So you actually have to give up your assets, your private keys to BlockFi. They secure it, uh, and along with that comes some regulations, as you said, like AML KYC in, in the U.S. And that's um, you know money laundering essentially laws where BlockFi is a crypto bank. They're taking custody of assets. They have to get your identity, so they have to log your email, your your name, your ID, um, and that's what was breached um, in this in this in this hack in this in this issue. It was email address, uh, it was physical address, it was transaction history, which Bitcoiners care a lot about, by the way. Yeah, it's that's very private information because uh, it can be dangerous, obviously, to to leak that if that gets in the dark web, which inevitably it will, that list will be resold, then somebody knows potentially uh, all of your Bitcoin addresses or the addresses that were linked to uh, BlockFi. They know uh, how much you have. They know where you live. Uh, they have your email address. I mean, it's pretty sensitive information. Eric Voorhees actually, he tweeted this out and he said, the problem is with AML KYC. It's like, why are we... 
uh, collecting this? Why do we have to collect it? You know, and that's that's one take definitely. But I think another take is is going along the lines of what you just said, which is DeFi fixes this. So if it's just a protocol, if they don't take custody of your assets, then AML KYC doesn't apply. If you deposit your um, ETH or your wrapped Bitcoin in something like the the Compound protocol, um, you don't need to supply your street address. Uh, you don't need to supply your passport or your driver's license. Uh, the protocol just just kind of works because you're not giving up your assets. Um, so it feels like DeFi fixes this. Is that is that a take you share? Absolutely. And just to harp on KYC one more time, the the reason why KYC is required is because the government and and the nation state wants as much insight as to who who owns all the money and where the money is because that having that access to that information is power that is power and so what they're doing is is they are forcing everyone to say like okay i own this much amount of money and here it is and the fact that the nation state knows this is extremely beneficial for them they basically sit at the center of the most important information ever in the world which is where is all the money and who owns it uh, and so, you know, Eric Voorhees, a famous libertarian, when he says the problem isn't BlockFi, the problem the problem is AML KYC. That's what he's talking about. He's saying that the government has this undue incentive to understand where who owns what money, uh, and that's what DeFi does not care about. Uh, they don't care who you are; they just care that you have the money, and that that's the end of the story. Uh, and th- this kind of just goes into why agnostic protocols that are minimally extractive always win. Like we have always seen throughout history, the transition from subjective protocols with undue costs and influence uh, be replaced by less subjective, more objective protocols that just need the minimum amount of information to to operate. And, and that's really what DeFi is. DeFi is the next evolution of uh, money and finance protocols that only require the minimum amount of information for their for their, them to function. That's that's an, an an alternative definition for DeFi. Well, it sounds a lot like the protocol sync thesis episode twelve, right? Oh, I mean, that, so I think you're right. <laughs> so, guys, guys, if you've been tracking with us, this is our thirteenth episode. So, hopefully, nothing goes wrong, David. Like unlucky number thirteen, but um, the previous twelve episodes really lead up to this. Uh, Bankless, the podcast, is really best if listened to sequentially. So, you know, one episode builds on the last. And now we're going to be talking about um, the, the first almost mainstream DeFi wallet that acts as kind of a, an overlay to all of the, the protocols and all of the, the money economics and scarcity economics that we've talked about in previous episodes. So uh, episode 13 fits right in there. So before we get there with Edamar, David, we should talk about our second round of sponsors. The first is Aave. So Aave is a DeFi protocol you absolutely have to check out. We mention it in today's episode. You can actually now access Aave by way of the Argent wallet in just a few taps. So what does that mean? It means you can put your DAI into it. You can put your ETH into it. Once you do, it magically transforms those assets into interest-bearing assets. So you're actually 
earning interest on the assets that you put into the protocol. You can also borrow from it. So these aren't just variable rate loans. These are fixed rate loans, which is something unique to the Aave protocol. I just saw uh, earlier this week that Aave had passed 70 million in assets locked inside of the protocol. So it's not the, the fourth largest DeFi protocol. Now it's getting a lot of traction, a lot of growth. And I think that's because they've constructed uh, a pretty interesting protocol. If you're a developer, you've got to check out their flash loan protocol as well. Um, if you are a user and you want to access interest uh, through Aave, you can go to Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com or even just access it in the Argent app. In order for Ethereum to be stitched into the traditional world of money and payments, we need it to have roots into the outside world. And that's exactly what Monolith does. Monolith offers you your DeFi card, which is a Visa card that allows you to spend your DAI, but at any store that accepts Visa, which is like basically the whole world. Uh, so this is a really useful tool for people that would like to go bankless but not really compromise their ability to live their life in a normal way, uh, the way that everyone else lives their life. And so the DeFi card from Monolith allows you to be a bankless individual while still being able to access traditional payment rails through the Visa network. Uh, so Monolith, it's a smart contract wallet where you deposit your DAI into, and when you swipe your Visa card in any store, it just spends that same amount of DAI from your wallet. Through Monolith, you can focus on spending the things that make sense to spend, like DAI instead of your Ether. Uh, and this is just a great one-to-one -one replacement for HSBC or uh, Revolut. You can download the app at monolith.xyz and sign up and get your bankless Visa card today. Without further ado, let's get to our interview with Itamar Le Suisse, the co-founder of Argent. All right, David and I are here with Itamar Le Suisse. Itamar is the co-founder of the Argent Wallet, and we're excited to talk to you today, Itamar. It's been a crazy busy week for you guys. Can you give us some of the highlights? Sure. Thank, thanks, Ryan. Thanks, David, for having me. Uh, indeed, big big week at Argent. Uh, results of you know, after almost two years of uh, of hard work uh, launching Argent V1. Many people in the community knew the product, but it's really the day where uh, we are removing that wait list and we really open Argent to, to everyone, uh, anyone in the world with, with a mobile phone. So we are, we are super excited. On Monday, we announced it to the crypto community. And then on Tuesday, we did our launch on, on Product Hunt, made it to the top three. Uh, so it's pretty good to put a, a crypto a DeFi product at the very top there. Yeah. So you know what I've been super excited about is the DeFi community, the bankless community has really turned out for you guys, for Argent. And I think it's because we've always wanted a mainstream bankless wallet. I think that's why you're getting such a turnout from the Ethereum community and such uh, excitement. W what's your take on that? Why are, why are folks so excited about this? I think, I think you, you said it very well. I think we started the day where it was you know, our app, our product, let's let's vote for it. And by the middle of the day, people were not voting for Argent anymore. They were just voting to put DeFi mainstream to, or to push DeFi to more people, to show to the world that crypto DeFi could be super simple, uh, safe, uh, and still decentralized and custodial. So the I think the, 
the language and the, the intent really change uh, as the hours uh, pass uh, during that day. I think this is a really interesting uh, telling example of how crypto works differently. Uh, businesses and companies in this space have communities that you just don't find in the typical world. Uh, and I, I, the other company on Product Hunt that you guys were in neck and neck uh neck and neck with with votes was this marketing agency who obviously had skills in garnering votes because that's the whole point of their company. But you guys, uh, as a as a you know a DeFi wallet, you're not a marketing company, but you get marketing all the same from the evangelists of the crypto world because we all believe in Argent and we all want Argent to do well. And so it's just it's just free marketing from the the support that comes around from the bankless community. I think it's really powerful. Agree. First time, really, I, I see that in action. I mean, in this company at Argen, I didn't get the same vibe in my previous companies. Uh, there's really something unique here. Yeah, you know, I think part of the reason why is because uh, this is more than just an app. Uh, this entire space and what you guys are doing are part of a larger movement. Uh, and that's kind of where David and I want to start with, with the why. So, Itamar, why are you doing this? Why are you in the crypto space? Are you here for, you know, the, the entrepreneurship, the, the money, the fame, the movement? What really motivates you? So we, you know, it's, it's not my first company. Um, all the founders have had several companies. So yes, we've been entrepreneur for, for a very long time. And that's what we, we like to do. And I think everyone has a different story on how they, uh, they get in touch with crypto for the first time. Um, for for me, I so when I sold, there were a few elements. I think I sold my previous company. Uh, it was probably now more than three years ago. Uh, when when we sold it, there was actually an OFAC flag on the on the purchase. So the dollars money sent from a, a UK company to another UK company, but it was in dollars. So some bank in the US could freeze the transfer, put an OFAC flag on it. Uh, it was obviously a mistake, but it was a month where you know, everyone was super stressed. We couldn't access the funds. And we were like, okay, that's it's your money. You decide to send it to me, but actually you can't really send it to me. You need to ask uh, authorization of someone, some bank in the US. Um, so that was the first event. Then I, unrelated to that, I discovered crypto. Um, I bought my first ETH. Probably it was on Kraken. Uh, early 2017, if I'm correct in my years, I sent it to a hardware wallet. And I would say that's where I could feel the technology for the first time. Gerald and Julian, my co-founders, talked about blockchain for many years. But for me, that was my first user uh, user experience with crypto. And I could see that, that ability to send money, like you send an email and text message. It was really my moment. And so I think what motivates us is this idea of a future where you have uh, where money and the internet is just totally open, fair. You have that global platform that is totally permissionless where everyone uh, can innovate. And I think that can lead to uh, basically everyone on the planet being connected to that same system. Everyone with equal economic opportunity and this ability to exchange value literally instantly across the world like you would do with a text message. I think that's that's really... So it started in some way from the tech and this, we felt, wow, that, that tech can just be... Can, can really have such an impact and it's probably the biggest thing, uh, thing we have lived and we, are, we will see in our lives since this, 
invention of the internet was probably the first. And then I think for us, blockchain and crypto is probably the, the next wave. So, so is that it, Itamora? Is like, is that the point of crypto? You mentioned openness, sort of this, this open finance, open money layer. Is that why we're doing this? Is that the entire point here? We, at our gen, this vision of Web3 with decentralized internet is something we, we feel strongly about, but we, th- we think it's really connected to this va- layer of value. So yes, blockchain is about adding a new layer to the current internet uh, with native value transfer. When we started, when the web started, value transfer was not part of it. Uh, it was complex. And that's why uh, I think we ended up with massive businesses that monetize attention uh, rather than using transfer of value. Uh, so I do think this can have a massive impact to the, the internet as we see it. And you need that value transfer to enable also a more decentralized internet where we all have full ownership of our, of our money, but also of our data. So that leads into the next question I want to ask. What are the main core goals of Argent? Like what are the metrics that you guys look towards to measure if you guys are being successful or not? So the way we we define internally at least our, our mission uh, or our purpose at Argent is really to empower everyone to control and prosper from their digital assets and identity. That's something I mention a lot internally, sometime in some presentation. And I think it's the everyone, control and prosper are three very important words, words uh, which means first we are there to, uh, to be a, a consumer product uh, that uh, target at, at, over time a large number of people. So we are not there to serve a small number of whales. Uh, for highly speculative use cases, uh, which is where blockchain is at today, I think. We are there uh, to remove friction, to make it secure and simple for anyone to interact with that space. So that's everyone. Uh, The control is really being non-custodial and staying that way and giving user control of uh, of these assets and their identity. Uh, And then Prosper, I think, is the result for us. It's really anyone being hooked up to the same a global system can have uh, an amazing impact, uh, probably even more for some for the few billions of people out there that are currently uh, not connected to any kind of financial system. So that aligns pretty nicely, I think, with uh, the bankless ethos, which is really about self-sovereignty over your money. It's uh, a liberating movement. And y- you mentioned a, a few attributes of uh, self-sovereignty there, the idea of having not a non-custodial wallet, which means you guys don't can take control of the assets. So a crypto bank, an exchange, they would take control of the assets. They would have custody over it. But with the Argent wallet, you know, a user never has to relinquish custody of their assets to you. So that is a bankless feature, I would say. In what other ways is the Argent wallet bankless? In what other ways is it, you know, self-sovereign money control, would you say? So when you look at self-sovereignty, uh, I think there are several, um, I think several characteristics. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about what you just said. And so there's obviously the first step. They don't uh, give away control to us. We are non-custodial. Um, and it's not just... Uh, that's not just that uh, a philosophical approach to things. We generally think that... In the long term, that's better for users from a security perspective. It will have impact as we improve on privacy. 
Uh, and also from a business perspective, it's very hard to innovate uh, and move fast if you have to be a bank, basically, because that's what big custodial, uh, custodial exchanges are. They are big banks and it's very hard to innovate. For us, once we had really secure and battle tested the smart contracts, we could move then much more, much faster on other elements of the product. Uh, the one difference is before you had the choice of either you go to a bank or you manage it yourself and you are alone, you have no safety net. So Argent brings a safety net without being custodial, meaning uh, you are protected if you maybe send a large amount of money to a wrong address or if someone um, someone tries to uh, steal your funds the same way that the banks protect you, but it's really the, at the smart contract level that it happens. Um, and you you have methods of recovery that are simple, uh, you know, out, out of the box as soon as you install Argent. Uh, I would say the censorship resistance is another element of... Um, of uh, your bankless ethos, I believe. Uh, so it's not just that we cannot take your money. I think there are a lot of wallets uh, which have the same feature. It's also uh, we cannot prevent you from accessing your money. Uh, the typical non-custodial wallet would work that way. Some are in between. They can, they might not take your, not be able to take your money, but they could prevent you from accessing your money. And that's why we build specific features so that the emergency kit, etc., to answer the question of what if Argent disappears. And what if Argent disappears? A big part of, I think, being bankless is you, you can still uh, manage your money and access your money without that entity. So, Itmar, I think a lot of people's first wallet in the Ethereum space was MetaMask. Uh, and MetaMask does a really good job with matching the values of a crypto system like Ethereum, as in it never, ever does anything that uh, the user doesn't explicitly request it. And so it gives the user full autonomy and full control. Like it's a very agnostic wallet. It doesn't doesn't uh, treat any specific app on Ethereum uh, you know, there's no native use of an app on Ethereum, but that's actually different with uh, Argent Wallet. Argent Wallet, you guys have actually selected specific apps on Ethereum, like Pool Together or Compound, uh, and integrated that into your wallet. Now, with your guys, you guys have stated that you want to onboard like the next one billion people into DeFi. Uh, but I was hoping to get your opinion on Argent's uh, neutrality. So when you guys choose to integrate a, an app onto your wallet, it becomes a political choice of sorts, especially when you have 1 billion people on your wallet accessing some apps that you've decided to integrate versus other apps that you haven't. So I was hoping to get your opinion on the neutrality or, or political neutrality of Argent Wallet and how you guys plan to uh, you know add future applications and then what your criteria is for adding some or perhaps denying others? That's a very good, very good question. Um, so Argent is definitely a more opinionated product. We have a vision, a direction uh, where we want to go and we want to build this great experience. And we are, we are less of a developer tool where you can control every single aspect, move every little uh, knobs and settings and customize all of that. Um, First, but first, on your very first point, I think there's something important there. A transaction in Argent never happens without the user explicitly pushing a button, taking, triggering that action. Uh, so it's not like in the background we will send a few transactions uh, 
Uh, that would have been the very easy way, for example, to skip the ERC-20 approve uh, is just send the transaction in the background and, you, and or two transactions at once. We never do that. As a user, you push on a button and therefore that triggers a transaction. That was just a comment on your very early point. Uh, then indeed, in the new DeFi hub, we we chose um, specific integration. I think the first thing to know is that through Wallet Connect, any DApp can be connected to Argent. So through Wallet Connect, uh, any DApp can be implemented. It's very quick. Uh, you have this Web3 provider and suddenly you can have a, a, a user using uh, Argent interacting with that DApps, with that DApp. And we are doing a lot more work with the, on that front. So making the Argent experience better when interacting with a, with a DAP on a website or on your browser is really uh, something we, we are investing more. We want people to be able to use the, a traditional browser right now on, the, on desktop, soon on mobile, or even another native app, uh, and use Argent to authorize this transfer uh, or, or to, and to secure their assets. So Argent being open is definitely where we are heading. Within the app, we have to be a bit more careful. Um, it's a mix of UX, uh, security, and also user uh, have certain expectation. Uh, of, so we are looking at, uh, there are some criteria, but I think it's not the one you would think. So obviously we are looking at, um, at things like, is it a big protocol, battle tested, maybe with a, a, a few, uh, no, what's the level of their audit, et cetera, on their contract. But in this really first launch, we looked more at the user experience that would be simple enough across uh, protocols. So the interacting with a protocol in DeFi Hub is in fact just buying or minting a token. The same way that in a stock trading app, you can invest in uh, in mobile apps, in washing machine, in a ad company, or in a real estate company. Uh, that's what all these stocks represent. We saw it as the same here. You would get a specific token, and that specific token would be actually a lending activity or robot trading or actually a liquid, liquidity provider, provider token. Uh, and it's really the same flow. Every DAP in DeFi app follows the same flow, very simple. You take an ease or you take a hundred die and you put it in that. So it was actually more led by a simple user experience. Uh, and we are definitely open uh, on that model. And there will be much more protocols in the future in, in DeFi Hub. We had to start somewhere. We wanted to look at each integration one by one to make it, to make it uh, at the right level of quality. And there's a lot of improvement coming there. You know, so while we're we're talking about the why, and while we're on the Argent ethos, um, w one thing that I love about Argent is that it is finally a wallet that my parents can use. <laughs> you know, they, you know, they ask me all the time about this crypto thing I'm doing, and it's very difficult to get them to use uh, a browser extension like MetaMask or a, a hardware ledger wallet. You know, the best they're able to do is kind of keep, you know, some crypto on an exchange, a Coinbase. But it's very intimidating to move from a Coinbase into this DeFi wallet world. What you guys have done is you've taken a Venmo-like ex experience. So people in the U.S. will probably be familiar with Venmo or Revolut-like experience. And you have incorporated all of the bankless DeFi protocols inside of that app experience. I've, I've got to ask, is that 
part of the core ethos and the core mission. I've heard you talk about onboarding, helping to onboard 1 billion people uh, in this space. Is that all part of the design here? Totally. So when we started, I mentioned me sending money from Kraken to my to my ledger uh, and found this experience magic. But it also came with the conclusion that a billion people will never write down a seed phrase on paper. Uh, so it was either we end up with a world of uh, now few exchange holding everyone's money and therefore we are back to square one um, and there's no point in what we are doing or we have to fix that problem. That's really the, the starting point and that's, that has uh, driven a lot of our design from, I mean, UX, but also technical design choices um, in, in what became now, now Argent. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about the the what. So what sorts of things can we do with this? And the the, the way I kind of think about this, Itamar, is about the uh, the money verbs that can be accomplished. So think about crypto in in previous iterations of crypto. There wasn't a lot you could do with it. So on the Bitcoin network, natively, you can hold Bitcoin, of course. And you can transfer Bitcoin from one place to another. You can you know, pay with it. Everything else on the Bitcoin network basically requires a, a side chain, a, uh, a custodial bank of some sort. If you want to trade, if you want to lend, if you want to borrow. But in this bankless world, in this Ethereum and, and DeFi world, those money verbs are actually manifested in protocols themselves. So can we talk about some of the cool things that you can actually do in Argent with those, with those verbs? So you can hold different assets, you can transfer. Uh, what else can you do with Argent? You, you, I mean, you can do, I mean, you could store, save, send, borrow, earn interest, invest. I think we are, with this launch of DeFi Hub, we are reaching... Uh, I believe every of the money verb, as you mentioned, I think I like that expression. So, you know, you, you hold your ETH or your tokens, but I think holding is not just uh, seeing, a, seeing them up there. It's secure them, make it extremely secure, extremely recoverable. And I think that's, that's actually the first innovation of Arjun. Your money is there. It's in your pocket. You take your phone. You have access to it. You can interact with it, but it is protected. Um, like... You, you have daily limits, you can freeze and freeze your account, uh, you can recover it with Guardians. The, the same way, the same mental model than you would have today with a good bank like, like Revolut, for example, all these great features are part, are part of it. Uh, you can transfer, obviously, not only we do gas abstraction, so right now it's just free to, can, to transfer, but you could imagine also paying fees in ETH or in tokens. Uh, but transfer is not just that. It's the fact that you don't need to type a, a massive Xerox address. You can uh, just send money to um, ryan.argent.xyz.uzns. So that was part of fixing transfer also. Uh, so savings or lending. Uh, so we had Compound at start. We have DSR. We have now Aave um, and, and Pull Together. I could put it in that category. Uh, again, these are probably, we started with those use cases. They are very simple. Uh, it's very clear mental model for users. I put money there and I earn some interest rate. Um, trade, you mentioned it, I believe. That was there also earlier on. We, we work with Skyber uh, and we're doing actually a lot of work in the coming months to have much more, uh, to, to ensure a user gets the, better, the best possible price, whether they invest 
uh, or trade, sorry, $10 or whether they trade $100,000. Uh, investment token set, I think, is really a, a very good uh, use case uh, that we launched it really on Monday. I think the idea of robo-trading is actually uh, quite common in the traditional financial world, so I really like what token set uh, is doing there. And then we added also Uniswap liquidity pools. I think it's maybe a bit more complex uh, for users, but there is an opportunity here to earn uh, in a different way. We made the experience very simple. You literally say, I want to put uh, 100 die and you push on one button. But I think um, there's still more work to do on really explaining what, what does it mean to be a liquidity provider. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what I love about what you've done with Argent is you've stitched together all of these various DeFi protocols inside of an app that feels very much like a Venmo, like a, like a bank experience. But the difference is, you know, a, a user is not giving up custody of their assets. There's no intermediary. There's no bank involved. It's all purely protocols, but it's been packaged in such a seamless way that it it feels like a banking UI. So I've got the Argent app open right now, and I'm looking at the, the DeFi hub. And what I could do is, when, you know, you mentioned token sets, but um, I can click on token sets. And what this is, is, is it's basically like a, uh, folks are familiar with traditional finance, it's like a brokerage uh, in your pocket, but it's a protocol brokerage with like ETFs, with like index funds that you can you know, invest in, in just a few taps. So you have that power. You haven't given up custody of your assets. You've done it purely through protocol and you've got like a, a Venmo level experience here. And you could do that with trading. You could do that with, with earning of interest. I think, well, I, I guess a, a question for you then, Itamar, is now that we have something like this, like a, a mainstream type of, of app, um, what's preventing us from getting to the next million users or even beyond that hundred million? And like what impediments are, st- are still sort of uh, left for us? What do we got to sort through? Is it, is it education? Is it something else? Now I have a quite opinionated view on the fact that crypto didn't yet uh, crack product market fit, to be honest. I think, yes, UX was one of the blocker, uh, UX and security make it very secure while keep it simple. Uh, scalability, of course, will is coming uh, is becoming a bottleneck. Gas fees are high, but I think we are very very close to to pretty good solutions there. Uh, I think we we need uh, we still need more work on cracking use cases that are mass market enough. Uh, most of the current use cases we see are still um, high risk investments uh, and speculation. Uh, there's a pool of users. There's a lot of money in that market, also in the traditional world, um, which is, you know, it's, it's fine to start there. Uh, but I think we still have to, to do some work to really, really cut it. As you said, my mom, my dad, they can use Arjun. It's much easier than their current bank. They don't use Monzo or Revolut. They don't use Venmo. They have some old school bank. Argent is easier. That, that's done. It's easier for them to send money with Argent than with their current bank. But I think the use case is just not strong enough. Uh, sending money for obvious reason, acceptance is still limited. Uh, investments products are still relatively high risk. And if you put a million uh, people into a simple product like lending, uh, the rates would they are quite low today, but I assume they were back at five, six, seven percent. If you put a million people there, the rate would be back to close to zero. So I think we still have more work uh, to do on creating 
the right use cases, but I think it's moving insanely fast. And our job at Arjun was really deal with security and user experience and dApps can just fo- ignore that and focus on, on building this use case. Uh, and doesn't mean it's one use case that brings a million or 10 million people. It might be an accumulation of smaller niches um, and where, where, where this, uh, this use case appear and where we solve a real problem. I might be a bit harsh saying no product market fit. I think there are entire region of the world where just holding DAI rather than the local currency is an amazing use case and and literally something they are uh, they are fighting for. And it's uh, it's not just a, a nice to have; it's critical to their uh, to their life. Uh, but it's not yet a, a completely global use case that everyone can uh, would benefit tomorrow. I think. I got it. So if I were to kind of uh, encapsulate what you're saying is uh, you're saying that maybe in um, countries without a very well-developed financial system or a poor financial system, this is maybe something that's, that's revolutionary, right? Um, You know, and maybe there's, there's large pockets of adoption there, but in sort of the Western world where we've got some developed uh, financial infrastructure and banks, the DeFi space and even Argent and everything that, that you've done so far in crypto with its, you know, 10 years of, of building on top of it, we've gotten maybe to the place where we are at parity or getting closer to parity with the existing financial system. But there's still not enough reason for somebody who is happy with their Wells Fargo account uh, to, to make the switch, you know, self-sovereign, um, self-sovereign, like kind of take control of your money that appeals to a certain demographic, but for mainstream, that's not enough. And we're looking for like that 10 X improvement, something really magical, a superpower that you can do in DeFi that you can't do in traditional finance. And that hasn't come yet. I think that's what you're saying. Where do you think, where do you think the next big growth area might come in DeFi? Where is the superpower going to come? Is it in interest rates? Is it you know, something new that we haven't seen yet? I, I wouldn't be able to answer what, what's next. If not, uh, <laughs> if not, I wouldn't be here. I would be building it right now. Um, I think, um, but I think the the choice is simple. As you said, you have two platforms. One that's still a bit ahead. I mean, in, in the UK, a payment is instant. I can send money from one bank account to the other. The notification arrives in real time. Uh, it, it's fantastic experience. But if you have to bet between a platform that is completely closed, uh, usually quite local, uh, you can't work, it's hard to work between countries, and where you know, a few hundred entities in the world have the right to innovate because of all the requirements to be connected to the system versus a platform that is completely global, that is fully permissionless, where most of the work is even open source, uh, and anyone can start building, whether they're in a basement or in a nice glass tower in New York. And I mean, I think the choice is very easy. Uh, the rate of innovation, uh, there's no point even trying to compare. Uh, you know, I, love, I, love, I love my Revolut app. I love, I think Venmo is probably a great product, but I've only seen, it doesn't exist in Europe, so I've never used it. Uh, but it looks great. Uh, Robinhood looks great. But all these are, uh, this is just a layer of makeup on the exact same financial system. It's, it's the same than my old school banking app with a bit better UX, a bit better uh, flows. It's still the same. And here we're talking about reinventing from scratch a system that that thing will, will evolve uh, at an order of magnitude faster. 
So are there any countries where downloading and accessing an Argent wallet is restricted or have you guys had any frictions with making Argent as globally available as you know most of the apps that you would find on an app store? So right now, we it's simple. We put Argent on the app store uh, and that's it. We don't, we don't control where Apple and, and Google uh, can um, uh, distribute it. It's, it's globally on the app store. Uh, but that means it's not actually perfect. Uh, it's not that global um, because we only right now publish on the Google App Store. Uh, to be honest, it's not that we avoided others. It's just, you know, it's, it's, we all think at least in the Western world, Android, we think Google, we put it on the Play Store. Uh, but that I believe there means um, some markets where it's not available. Um, for, and for example, in China, I believe you would need other uh, other app store for other play other Android store. Or Apple is in China with app stores. I'm not sure Google is. Uh, but for example, on Android, we could work on making sure uh, we provide APKs directly to the website. So there are other ways to distribute. Philosophically, we are really a, a software and interface. We don't need to onboard users to do KYC or anything. Uh, so it's a piece of software you can download anywhere. So what what pockets of the world has you have you guys seen success with? Like what what countries have really uh, adopted Argent more than others? So we when we started we you know we, we never targeted a specific group. We really put the app out there. Didn't do much marketing. Just being there on Twitter. The but the natural countries would be really UK and the US first because we were an English-speaking app uh, working with protocols that were popular in these markets. Then we it started growing a little bit more in Europe, uh, maybe because that's where we are. A lot of our all our team members are in Europe, so word of mouth, etc. But then we see sometime interesting behavior. So for the last thirty days, uh, our second biggest market is Argentina. Uh, we we don't really know why uh, we didn't. The app is not available uh, in in Spanish, and suddenly Argentina started to pick up. Uh, maybe to our ma- uh, maker, our friends. Uh, I know there are a few team members there <laughs> that might be uh, sharing Argent around. Uh, but so yeah, I think we, we really like to to understand this behavior, to understand where can we where can we solve problems basically. Wow, Argentina. So uh, we we just had a Mariano Conte on, um, I think a few episodes. It might might have been episode nine, and he talked about the um, the the uh, state controlled financial system from the money all the way to the to the banking system, and how that is a daily pressure and a daily quality of life uh, issue for the folks in Argentina. So that might be an example. You know, more of, of what you're just talking about that while in Western countries, Argent isn't yet a 10x improvement in countries like Argentina, it's already a 10x improvement because they don't have any access to even, you know, Western US European based financial infrastructure. So this is already fi- far better because it can't be confiscated by their local governments. T- totally. And, uh, and our, in, in, those, in those markets, we're often also holding Stablecoin like Dai is is a very interesting use case. We are probably the dream stablecoin wallet. Uh, you can have a, an Argent wallet with only Dai, nothing else. You don't need ETH to pay for your gas fees. You can put Dai and then uh, and and start doing payments. You can put Dai and start savings in Compound or in the DSR. So we are really the 
I would say that we have the dream experience for um, for stablecoin only wallets. So I think that's definitely something attractive in some of these markets. And if people are looking to get an understanding of DAI and the DAI savings rate, that's the DSR acronym that Itamar mentioned, which is basically a savings account where you can deposit your DAI, your stablecoin, and start earning interest instantly, uh, check out the episode nine with Mariano. It's got all that detail. So Itamar, with, with Arjun being globally accessible and globally used, uh, you guys have the option of onboarding uh, fiat transfers into uh, the Argent wallets, but the the traditional payment rails across the world are not all the same depending on where in the world you are. So how does Argent plan to uh, enable everyone to transfer value into the Argent wallet? Because while the Argent wallet's UX is great and it integrates with all the DeFi protocols, it's useless if people can't get their money into Argent Wallet. So how do you guys plan on, on scaling up the ability to transfer value into Argent? So it's a good question because when, when I think Ryan asked earlier about uh, frictions, what prevents us from having a million uh, or a billion people, I didn't mention on-ramp, off-ramp, that's actually still, uh, I think, a strong point of, fr- of friction. Uh, we So we took the decision to really focus on, on partnership there. Um, there, there is an. It was um, an interesting question for us because, especially since the recent funding, where we have much more, uh, I would say, resource, we can invest heavily in more in more project. We could have decided, okay, we should uh, let's build the right on RAM. Let's build this perfect experience, and you could have some regulated on RAM within Argent that we fully control. That would have that the, the experience we want. Um, we think. We think if we do that, we cannot be on both sides. We cannot innovate there on what is a completely traditional uh, financial business and at the same time in, innovate on DeFi and on the Web3 vision where there is so much to build. So our choice is we will keep innovating when it comes to DeFi, DApps, Web3 uh, and let third parties uh, work on the more traditional finance part, which is the on-ramp and the off-ramp. And so we partner. So Part of the work we'll do is to add more partners to cover more region. Uh, that's the first step. And then if we are happy with the experience with the partners, start integrating deeper. So you could go to with some of them to an integration where it's really seamless uh, and, and part of the flow. I think the, you know the, the usual suspects, but there are some great products, whether it's Wire, MoonPay, Ramp here in the, in the UK, where it's expanded to all over Europe is a great product. So there are some really good products there. They are improving. It's not easy. I think their challenge is, is significant, but it's our strategy will be to work with, with those partners. So for anybody who's ever used a, a crypto wallet in the past, um, they, they may be sort of burnt out on how uh, clunky the experience is and how limited some of the, the experience is. But when I log into Argent, I'm doing that right now, and I go to my profile, for instance, uh, I can do really cool things. I can set up guardians to actually uh, socially recover my uh, private key. So there's no need to remember a seed word. I can have trusted folks in my in my circle who can act as uh, recovery addresses and um, you know get get me access to the wallet. I've got things like a daily transfer limit similar to my credit card. So if I want to set a security parameter and say only you know a hundred die should be spent per day, I can do that. All of this feels like a big step upgrade to things we've seen in the past. And crypto is, you know, 10 years old or so. 
I think maybe folks might be wondering who aren't as familiar with uh, the developments here, like how is this possible now? Like, and why is it possible now? Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the technologies that went into this, particularly the the smart contract wallet. Uh, without getting too geeky, Edamar, just give us give us sort of the summary of of how this sort of functionality is now possible and previously wasn't. First, I would say on Ethereum, it was probably always possible. Um, just wasn't exactly built uh, that way. Uh, but on, I'm saying on Ethereum because it's a fully programmatic blockchain and therefore you can write any logic. So let's first start by how it works. Um, the, traditionally, wallets have all followed similar model. You have a private key. The funds are attached to that private key and then you have to to store that private key in some way. That's the seed phrase that people make you write uh, on a piece of paper. With Arjun, and, and you can compare that to having a wallet in your pocket with cash. If you lose that wallet, it's lost forever. If someone takes takes your wallet, they have your cash, it's lost forever. Arjun, when you don't know the Arjun, what's, what's happening is a smart contract gets created uh, for you. Um, I don't like the analogy, but in some way, it's like you have an account, a bank account in the middle, but it's not a bank account. It's a piece of code that's yours. Only you control it. Arjun cannot change it, cannot upgrade it. Only you can do it. The funds are on that, on that smart contract. And then that smart contract has an owner, and that's the key that is stored in your phone. And only that key can control that wallet. But then you can define what we call guardians, and you give power to these guardians. Not, not to access your funds. You give them power to tell uh, your smart contract, hey, there is a new owner. This owner, your phone is just a remote control. The guardians can tell the smart contract, hey, Itamar lost his phone. Uh, set up a new owner. That's Itamar, new phone, new phone. This will take 36 hours. It's enforced on chain. No one can change it. It's, it's engraved in that smart contract. Uh, someone cannot hack it and change that value. Uh, and so for 36 hours, that's the security period. Um, you, you will, 36 hours later, you will have access. Uh, what is nice is your guardian can also put a lock on your wallet for five days. So for example, you are worried that you, um, you can't find your phone. Maybe it's not lost. Maybe it's somewhere in your house, but you can't find it. You could put a, a five days lock on your wallet the same way that you can freeze your card uh, through, uh, through some of the new banking apps. What's important is this guardian mechanism, although often people call it social recovery, it doesn't have to be other people. So uh, it can be literally friends and family. And I think there are markets where that works, where really people want friends and family. And if they are as savvy as them, I would say technically uh, it can work. There are markets where people want pure self, uh, full control. So they are their own guardians. And by that, it means another Ethereum wallet, can be another phone, can be MetaMask, can be a hardware wallet. That's usually for more advanced user, or they can trust third-party services. So Arjun as a guardian service. You do two-factor authentication with us and we'll trigger the transaction. But the beauty of the model, this is just some a framework. It's any Ethereum address. Anyone can create a guardian service. And so maybe... Maybe the world is not fully bankless. Maybe banks will be great at doing this process and have keys to start a recovery. Uh, who knows? So it could be your lawyers. Could be it could be really anything, anyone, any any system can act as a guardian, and you as a user, you decide to trust them uh, or that device uh, to, to 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 do that uh, that recovery process. So speaking of recovery, 
what happens if Argent just disappears? What happens if the company folds or goes away? Like, how does that meaningfully impact the people that use Argent to store their funds? So Argent is built to be non-custodial. That doesn't mean that everything stays exactly the same. The Argent, uh, our infrastructure is there to make your life easier to make it smooth, to send you alerts, to coordinate complex orchestration between parties when you have several guardians, etc. But at heart, there is a private key in your phone, uh, there is a smart contract on the blockchain, so you have control. So what we built is quite simple, is what we call the emergency kit, which is uh, has been live on iOS for a while, uh, only more recently for Android. You... You have funds in your in your wallet. You you open your you unlock the Argent app. All that is is on the on the client on your phone. Uh, the you send your ease to an address. The difference is that we can't use our relayer infrastructure because we have disappeared. So we have a concept of relayer infrastructure, meaning you sign a transaction, we'll relay it to the blockchain, and that's how we abstract the gas. We you can't do that. So instead, you will push the send button, but leave your finger on that button for ten seconds. That's it. So instead of pushing the button, you leave your finger on it for 10 seconds. There's a piece of data that appears on your screen. You copy that. You paste it in your browser in, a, in any type of wallet. It can MetaMask, you need to enable uh, to, to add data. Could be my wallet, my crypto. You paste that piece of data. You send a transaction. So you will need some ease to pay for the gas. You send the transaction. The transaction now is routed to your, your smart contract, your wallet. And, and things uh, go ahead as normal. It's obviously not as slick, but you have access to your funds. My, the current stage of our emergency kit is that if we disappear, people would have access to their funds, but they would likely drain their wallet. Meaning it's not like Argent is fully decentralized and everything is, is, is beautiful and great. No, they would probably change, remove all their funds and move on to a new wallet. Uh, the only grail would be that even if we disappear, they can use different services for relayer, different... You, we already let you, for example, pick a, a, a different node on iOS. Uh, and the only grill would be that they keep life as usual just by picking uh, other services for these different building blocks. And I think we can get there. But right now, everyone can remove their funds. It's safe. It's in their, under their control. So if Argent goes away, everyone still has access to their phone, their funds as long as Ethereum is still in existence, as long as Ethereum is still running. Yes. So you mentioned something there. You said, you guys, you, you're a centralized company, and so there, there are risks there. Um, one of the things that go along with being a centralized company is that you guys require an email address and a phone number to sign up. Uh, is that the way that it's going to be? And, and why do you guys need that information? I'm surprised you waited that long to ask the question. Uh, <laughs> so, and it's a very fair, fair question. So, when we started, we had phone straight up mandatory phone number, email. This phone number and these emails were used for, uh, I would say, three reasons. One, civil resistance. We didn't want a, a, someone creating a million wallet. Uh, and suddenly draining all our gas because we pay for each wallet for the gas. That was one element. Two, security notification. So if there's a large transfer, if there's a recovery, if anything happens on your wallet, you are, or anything security related, you are alerted through these channels. Second thing. And three, these are used for the Argent Guard service that 
Uh, at the beginning, it was not by default. Not everyone, anyone who downloads the app by default has the Argent Guard service. They can fully recover their wallet, then they can customize that. So the, the civil resistance is something where it's fair to say there, there were other solutions. And one of the solutions we, we, we worked on was implementing what we call Create2. So we don't have to create the wallet in real time. So you need to put funds for the wallet to be created. You already have an address. Once the funds are there, the wallet is created. It starts to give a cost to someone. If someone wants to create a million wallet, they need to pay gas for a million transaction. Therefore, uh, it, it would cost them a lot. So I would say we're starting to be at the point where we have uh, we have some decent protection there. Yes, you can create three, four wallets, but probably not uh, a lot. And you you could limit rate limit uh, through different ways. So we we are getting there. Where we are very opinionated um, is still on the email. So the phone now we are at a place where you can skip it. It's not obvious. We are debating that regularly. We don't want to encourage people uh, to not use it because it would make by default things a bit less secure. So. Uh, for us, privacy is about consent. You need to have control uh, of what data you give to who and what is done with your data. We are very transparent. Uh, I'm sure we can improve, but we don't use your phone, your email for uh, marketing, selling it to third parties. There is no such thing as data harvesting to profile you. Uh, but we have accepted that phone is quite different than email. Uh, after mostly talking to users in very different countries, where um, the UK, where really they they said every phone number is tied to my. I can buy a, a SIM card on Amazon here, but for them it was no. Every phone number is is strongly tied to an identity. Uh, I can't have two numbers on my phone, uh, and they were genuinely worried, and they wouldn't want that. Um, so now we started to make that optional, but you still need to tap on the privacy icon and then uh, read the text and skip it. Um, but we didn't make it the default because also it makes uh, Argent Guard less, um, uh, less, less secure. Giving us this two-factor of email and phone is still a much better experience, especially because Argent is not subject to SIM swap attack. That's not how our model works. The email, I would say we are much more opinionated. Um, are, are, an email is there. You, you are you are creating a relationship with Arjun. You want a certain service, uh, and for that we need a communication channel. Saying push notification is not the same. Not everyone enables them. It's not as reliable. You we in a part of our model is being able to warn you if there are problems, uh, if uh, a large transfer is initiated on your account, if a recovery is initiated on your account. And that's why users come to Arjun. We have, uh, I would say, security. Uh, we want a fully recoverable model. We want to be able to alert you. And we have a line we don't want to cross from a security perspective. If you want a less secure wallet, then that's not with Arjun. We, we, we will not compromise on that. And email is easy. It's, it's so easy to create another email. I think it's also, again, important. And we want people to push on privacy. And we had people on Twitter yelling at us for uh, screaming at us about the phone number. And then we improved. We did some work. Uh, but we are not storing, uh, for example, an email and a password and some ID data. It's a communication channel, and this communication channel is important, brings security, and there are, it's so easy to create uh, uh, an email with ProtonMail uh, or, or others. So we do not want a less uh, an unsecure product because we can't communicate with our users.
Yeah, totally. I was um, actually, uh, I, I tweeted a, just a challenge to the you know, crypto community is just, you know, if um, if maybe you're in the Bitcoin community, you haven't yet uh, taken a look at some stuff on Ethereum, um, you take a look at Argent. You have five minutes, right? Like just download it and um, see what you can do with it. Uh, and some folks said, you know, re- really excited. UI looks great, but they got me on the the uh, phone number and email. And I think a, a great response to that, like a, a way around that is, uh, as you said, you can skip the phone number and you can create a um, an anonymous pseudonymous email, like Proton Mail or something, and you can sign up that way. So I feel like that sort of preserves what you might need as far as privacy while getting around um, like some of the the concerns that folks might have. Um, do, do you think we'll get more uptake in the um, in the Bitcoin community? I don't. So. No, I don't think it will make any difference, to be honest. Uh, I think uh, that, that element is not the blocker. The, um, I, think, I think it's very... I appreciate the criticism on phone number. If we make it optional, I think it should be clearer how we make it optional. It's too buried, it's too unclear, and we will just alert and warn the users uh, that it's, it's less secure. We just don't want a person that doesn't have good upside, that doesn't understand the implication of not using the phone number to do it. Um, on the, but I don't think, to be honest, we, we, are, we can count on the figure of our, uh, of my hand, the number of, uh, of complaint there. I don't think that's what will make Bitcoin suddenly, uh, suddenly explode. At, uh, I mean, or Bitcoin users suddenly jump on, on Arjun. I think the, um, the um, most Bitcoin users are savvy enough to know that they can create a, a pseudo anonymous email. Uh, so I think that's fine. And we, I think it's maybe more the issue of do we have a good uh, bit, uh, trustless Bitcoin token uh, in the Ethereum ecosystem? And you have some very interesting project coming soon, hopefully. Um, but right now we have Rap Bitcoin that is still custodial. And I don't think that might be more of a philosophical issue. Uh, or genuine security concern for for Bitcoin, the Bitcoin community. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that is key. Getting some good decentralized, trustless as trustless as possible uh, Bitcoin asset options on the Ethereum network uh, will probably be pretty important around that. Um, one other question that's just been asked in the Bankless community is how Argent is monetizing and plans to sustain itself over time. So right now we do very little on that front. Uh, we we get affiliate fees on on Kyber trades. Uh, so you get can when you send trades to Kyber, you get KNC token uh, back, uh, and that's you know a small. I mean it can grow. We are starting to trade several millions uh, in value every every month. So that that's a, a revenue stream. The that that's any that's the only thing we are monetizing right now in Argent. Uh, and its monetization is not something we'll be working on this year, to be very honest. Uh, we see ourselves as disrupting uh, tens of trillion of dollar size market. I mean, it's the entire financial industry. There will be uh, room for monetization. The only criteria for us is uh, transparent monetization, meaning you don't, uh, we don't like, for example, advertising or take something that is free and uh, suddenly made it, make it pay because so in some way you capture the user in your platform, they are stuck and suddenly they have to pay. Uh, but the area we are considering there are transactional uh, monetization and the exchange is a perfect example. There is, um, uh, and there is direct consumer subscription. 
so you know pre, uh, Revolut, uh, Robinhood, etc. They have premium features where uh, users pay a monthly for subscription. So I think there's definitely something that can work. Again, where the user has a clear choice what I get for free versus what I get uh, for a monthly subscription. It's something we might start thinking about it end of next year or maybe the, the year after. We we are not in a rush there. The, the, the This space is so small. <laughs> we need to be so much bigger uh, before any kind of monetization is worth it. The only monetization that really works now in that space is to take massive uh, trading fees or on-ramp fees, and it's not something we, uh, we, we want to do right now. Can you illustrate for us what Argent would look like if it was maximally successful, uh, if everything went right, and in five years from now, you guys had the perfect product that you envisioned today? What does that look like? Uh, time frame is always the, the question mark, but I think what elements will we have? We will have instant payment. I think that's a given in five years. So we need to have instant payment, payment privacy, uh, being able to see every every uh, third party to who you send money uh, is probably a, a big blocker also for massive scale. Um, so payment privacy, instant payment, core, uh, I would say, financial primitives. Um, and that's a thing we are getting there. And then what I would call identity solution, not from a legal identity, but being able to log in with your Argent wallet to any website. I would say these are core, core elements. You will also have the ability to have Arjun anywhere, meaning uh, any DApp developer, any third party should be able to create an Arjun wallet uh, disconnected from our app. You, a game console should be able to create an Arjun wallet or a point of sales device that a merchant should be able to create an Arjun wallet so that the merchant has secure uh, storage for their crypto and can receive payment, but doesn't mean they need to use the Arjun app. So. Um, I think five years is starts to be an interesting time frame, but I think that's the kind of time frame we need to think of for entire communities to use crypto. I don't think it matters with it, if it's Argent. Everything should be fully interoperable, but entire community using crypto for their day-to-day needs, payment, investment, and there's no more question of on-ramp or frame. This is, this is money. Yeah, there's and there's really it seems like a symbiotic relationship with everything that the Ethereum economy is is producing, all of these DeFi protocols. Because what I see Argent doing is essentially acting as a user interface on top of that, in a, a nice seamless app experience on top of that. So to a certain extent, in five years, doesn't it really depend on what the the DeFi and Ethereum and community uh, uh, crypto community cook up? Oh, totally. We are totally dependent. On, uh, on the ecosystem. We are a bit like the browser. We are Netscape. You know? We make it accessible uh, and safe to interact with these products. Uh, at the end, uh, everyone needs to contribute. And our job is to make it possible for dApps to focus on, on use case. And that's why we are be- betting on an ecosystem that is fully global, that is fully open source and permissionless, where anyone can come and innovate. So we are not too worried about that. I think. Uh, when a few billions people have the right to to innovate on the platform, you tend to have amazing outcome. Absolutely. So, Edamore, it has been an absolute pleasure. I, I think you 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 mentioned uh, DeFi's Netscape moment. You talked about Argent being sort of like a Netscape browser. Uh, you know, and, and Netscape came about in the early internet in you know 1993, 1994, and just sort of shook everything up because it 
layered on top of these all of these really interesting communication protocols something that was much more mainstream accessible and that's what you're doing with with argent is you're making these money protocols mainstream accessible so i uh, want to thank you and your team for your your work in doing that i guess my my final question is this how can the bankless community help you on your mission to mainstream open finance so I think specifically for the bankless community, that tends to be, I think, a lot of early adopters, um, I would say, talk to us. <laughs> uh, find us on Twitter, come in our Discord, tell us uh, about your experience, what works, but especially what doesn't work. We know we have so much more to improve. So we want to know that there's a lot of work coming, whether it's on-ramp, whether it's performance tracking of your DeFi investment, more, more DeFi protocols coming. So the best you can do is criticize us, uh, be nice with the team, but tell us what's wrong, tell us what to improve, uh, and then spread the word. I think that's uh, that would be amazing. And you have already done it. Uh, the last 48 hours have been amazing. The bankless community has been has been really awesome. You've heard it, bankless community. Idamar wants your feedback. Uh, he wants to know how he can and his team can improve the product. And then he wants you to spread the word. Idamar, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining David and I today on Bankless. David, Ryan, thanks so much. And keep, keep doing the amazing work you do. Fantastic. Guys, uh, as far as action goes, we, we have a few for you in this episode. The, the first thing you should do is go download the Argent Wallet and give it a try. That will be in your show notes. A link will be in your show notes. Uh, try a money protocol. Um, Pool Together is a good one to start with. That's a no-loss lottery. If you want to add some funds, some die funds to the die savings rate, you can do that too. Try one out. And then thirdly, tell a friend about this. Maybe it's that crypto skeptic in your life that thinks crypto is just about speculation. Uh, maybe it is a parent who previously has kept all of their funds on an exchange and uh, hasn't really embraced the entire bankless lifestyle. This is a great place for them to start. You can start slow. They could download the app uh, and you could send some, some die back and forth or some ETH back and forth and have some fun with it. Guys, risks and disclaimers. This, of course, is not financial advice. ETH is risky. Crypto is risky. DeFi is risky. You could lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everybody, but we are excited that you are with us on the bankless journey. Thanks. Wrap. Yeah.